Father, right now, I pray that you will, uh, Father, that you will both excite us and settle us, Father. Excite us about the uh, possibility of what's going on, but Father, also settle us down so we can listen and we can hear and we can apply. Father, I know that as I look at the lesson, I feel a great weight upon my heart. And Father, I ask that you would give me the ability to communicate the incredible truths that are contained within the story of Joseph with your word in Genesis 37 through, verse, uh, through chapter 50. God, such incredible truth, I pray that you'll help me to communicate it in a way that is meaningful and life-changing. So be with me, Father, and give me a, an ability that's greater than my own. And Father, I pray that you'll be with everybody that's in the audience and you will know, they will know that the things that were recorded in the Old Testament weren't recorded for the people that lived then. Father, the people that lived then did not get to read the pages of the Old Testament, Father. They were gone. Moses didn't need to hear about Moses, Father. Joseph didn't need to hear about Joseph, but we did. And so, Father, two times in the New Testament, you make it very clear that, Father, the Old Testament was designed to encourage us to be what we need to be and to warn us about what happens when we're not. And so, Father, help us understand that that foundation that the Old Testament lays can enable us to work in the life, to have Jesus work in our lives the way that changes us. And Father, in turn, allows us to change the world around us. So Father, be with us all, I pray this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Webster defines a dream as a series of thoughts, images, or emotions occurring during sleep. That's its first definition, or a strongly desired goal or purpose. In the Bible, the term is most often used in the sense that God has miraculously or often used to describe how God has miraculously given a vision. And there'll be three words, by the way, that in the text, if you're reading over the next several days, you'll hear about dreams, you'll hear about visions, you'll hear about a trance state. All of those, are, all of those sort of represent a state to where they are, they are conscious or semi-conscious, but yet this is beyond their consciousness. But it's not only through those ways that the Bible, does the Bible show that a dream that was imparted. It, was all, it wasn't always something, or even most often, something that miraculous. Instead, it was often God through his providence and the moving in someone's life that he gave them a strongly desired goal or purpose. And this weekend, we'll be using the term as defined like that, a strongly desired goal or purpose. Because many of you, I'm guessing, would say, you know, I've never really had a vision that I think came from God. And I would suggest to you that if you did, you ought to question it based upon some things in scriptures. And visions have always been through all Bible times and through extra biblical religions. Visions have always been very suspect as to what they really mean. Read through the Old Testament, you'll see that somebody has a vision and they think they know what it means and they miss it completely. But I want you to know that I believe that while that is something that you don't have to focus on, I do believe that God is a dream giver. That he still to this day is trying to put in the hearts of people a vision of them being something and accomplishing something that they would never be able to do on their own. And he wants it to become not just, not just a dream that you have and you forget, but it's a recurring dream that shapes you and transforms you. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, in the Living Bible, Paul wrote and said, God, by his mighty power at work within us, 
is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hope. So he says, what you need to know, whatever dream that you have about being used significantly for God, whatever dream that God has placed in you to do something, the ability of the God who gave you that dream is greater to fulfill it than you could even imagine the dream being. He is bigger than your biggest dreams. And I don't know about you, but I think most of us probably remember a time when we woke up at night trembling and tearful in the arms of a reassuring parent. Reassuring parent. And we remember them saying, don't be afraid, baby. It, it was only a dream. And after being in ministry for over 40 years, I've come to believe that these reassuring, parent, reassuring parents were, were more right than they or the frightened child could have imagined. It was just a dream. It was just a nightmare that would pass. But I also have come to know that dreams are a part of life and the good dreams are a gift from God. And the most haunted person is not the one who has a reoccurring nightmare, but one who has no dream at all to live for. Napoleon said that imagination rules the world. Einstein said, imagination is more important than knowledge. And Jesus, God in the flesh said, everything is possible to him who believes. And for some of us in a skeptical world, that when we look in the mirror, that skepticism is increased when we know who we are, we want to say to God, I'll believe it when I see it. But God says, no, you'll never see it unless you believe it. It starts in your heart and it starts in your mind. It starts with your trust in God. And when that occurs, dreams become reality. But maybe you are here tonight and you're going, I don't have a dream. I've missed my dream. And the sad truth is where I grew up, in the church that I was a part of, dreams didn't seem to play any role in the daily work of those who went to church there. That the biggest dream that they seemed to have was to show up on Sunday morning, to show up at midweek and sort of to survive everything that was going on in their lives and their busyness and their schedules and dreams were left out. But I would suggest to you that dreams will sustain you and motivate you at times when nothing else will. And if you missed your dream, there's probably a reason for it. And through, as we walk through the story of Joseph tonight, I want to give you four reasons that I believe that you can miss the dream, that you may have missed it for these reasons. And all of them will begin <clears throat> with I, and they will involve missing something in one way or the other. So first of all, if you don't have a dream, if you feel like it's, it's, it's just... You, you hear somebody or see somebody who's excited, they have a vision for a ministry, they have a vision of life change. If you hear Carrie up here and, or, or maybe me or some of the other speakers talking about packing this place out and someday being in a convention center and packing it out and you go, I don't know, where does he get that from? If you miss that way of thinking, you've missed that dream. Let me give you the possibilities of what you, why you've missed it and what it takes for you to capture it. Number one, I may miss realizing my dream, not just having a dream, but I may miss realizing my dream because of misconception. 
I missed it because of misconception. Now, under this eye of misconception that somehow I've got an idea about dreams that's wrong, that Satan has somehow gave me an idea about dreams that I go, okay, that'd be great if I could have a dream, but I don't think that's for me. Let me give you three of those misconceptions. First of all, a misconception about who gets a dream from God. And if you're like me, you always think that it's someone who's smarter, that God has great things planned in a dream for someone who is wiser, for someone who's better, for someone who's stronger, someone with a less mixed up family history or a less messed up life. And as you look at Joseph, the incredible thing about Joseph is, and it really, guys, if you look at Scripture, you, what you find out is none of those things are significant when it comes to God placing a dream in your heart. And you see, for me, for years, I rejected the idea that I could be anything for God other than timber to burn the fires of hell. Because I was so messed up and so broken and so confused. But the great news is that God says, no, listen, it's, I, I use people like that. I use people who are weak. I use people who are not better, but are, are, are less than that. They're not wise, but they're foolish. I transform those to where they're not that smart and they look smarter than they are. And Jacob's whole story around him is awesome because if you come from a background or you have the kind of personality that when you look at yourself and think it could never be me, if you're a pessimist in all things, but especially about yourself and your family and your ability to have the dream, Joseph is a great story. Because you see, when you begin to look at Joseph, his dad's name, Jacob, means schemer. That when God gave him a name, he gave a name that would be the equivalent today. You say, hey, what are you going to name your kid? I'm going to name him con artist. And maybe I'll put liar in there. That's shorter. What do you think, honey? Do you like Connorist or liar better for our baby? And you mamas are going to have a revolt, aren't you? I'm not naming my baby that. Well, in this case, God says, this is what you're going to name him. And start, it starts with this idea. If you think it takes having everything together to have a great dream, and you realize that the father of Joseph is a con artist, then you've got hope. And then you realize when you get down to Joseph and realize he was one of the last children. He was one of the youngest children. I think the other two babies after him were oops babies, you know what I mean? They, they just kind of, you know, they, they got going, they couldn't get started, stopped, and they didn't think that this was going to happen, but it did. You may have an oops sister or an oops, you know, brother is there. Well, Joseph's the young guy. He is so far down the line in the family that quite frankly, as far as the heritage, he meant very little as far as significance. In that culture, that was a thing. And it may be a thing in your character to that you find some reason to rank yourself as insignificant in your family or in God's family. And I want you to know it ain't so. And then I, as I was reading the story of Joseph, I don't know how many times I've, I've read, I was telling Lynn this, Donnie, but I'm reading this story and there's this weird thing that happens. Because as you begin to read in chapter 37, you have Joseph having his dream. And we're going to read quite a bit out of that as we go on. And in chapter 37, so it's Joseph has a dream, and it's the story of Joseph. And then, and it goes on until chapter 50. It's all about Joseph and his brothers. And it's all about the story of Joseph's life. But in Genesis chapter 38, 
It's like God, the script, they go off script. You know, it's sort, of, it's sort of like Joe Biden was writing the Bible a little bit, you know. He's going off script. Where is he going to here? Where's he at? And all of a sudden, it begins to talk about Judah, one of Joseph's brothers, and Tamar. Now, if you don't know this story, we talked about in the sermon a few weeks ago, it's one of the most mixed up kind of things. You're going, nah, that ain't in there. Because you see what happens is Judah has a son that marries a lady named Tamar. The son was kind of a really lousy man and, and dies, and so now what is supposed to happen, because she's had no kids, he was the firstborn, that she's supposed to marry one of his brothers. The next brother in line looks at her and goes, man, I want to marry her. And it's not that she's ugly or unattractive, but he's kind of, a, kind of a guy that's not so spiritual anyway. He's not interested in doing what God says because he knows that if he marries her and she has a child, that child gets the double portion of the inheritance just as if the original husband, her, his older brother, had fathered her. So that one's going, no, I ain't going to do that. And so there is this cascading of all the brothers going, no, we're not going to marry her and sleep with her. And so Tamar decides that she is going to dress up. She finds her, her father-in-law's been going out. And by the way, her father-in-law's just kind of set her aside. Going, going yeah, I'll get you. We'll get you a son. We'll get you, you, we'll get you pregnant. We'll get you a son. Little does he know. But she's going, that's going to happen, okay? Tamar understands that Judah is going out of town pretty often. And where he's going out of town. So she dresses up as a prostitute, sneaks ahead of him, hides outside of the town, and she's going to attempt, she's going to proposition her father-in-law and try to get pregnant by him. And so he comes along, she looks pretty good. They begin to deal, hey, baby, how much for this, you know, how much for that? I, and he comes out with, the, he's really not good with women, I don't think. He was, how about, how about you do me for a goat? Not, I don't know if that, that doesn't just sound very flattering to me. You're like, hey, yeah, this, I got a goat out of this, this quick transaction. And she goes, okay, I'll do it. And as a very frank businesswoman, this is all in scripture, by the way, you can read it. As a very shrewd business lady, she goes, no action till you show me the goat. I don't hear a goat, I don't see a goat, and I don't trust you, you old goat, okay? That's kind of how it went down. Well, I'll give you, how about if I give, and so she gives her staff, she gives a, a, a seal that would recognize it and says, hey, I'll bring this to, I'll, you can hold on to this very valuable stuff until I give you the goat. They sleep together. He goes about his business. She goes back home, takes off all the, 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 uh, the trappings of the prostitute, is living among the brothers there. And the brothers start looking and going, hey, it looks like Tamar's got a little poochy belly there, right, Kennedy? A little poochy belly going on there. Rita was talking to Kennedy. Where's Kennedy at? Wave, Kennedy. She goes, don't say it's poochy, Grammy. When you're pregnant, poochy is the least it's going to be, okay? I'm just saying, all right, Kennedy, where's she at? <laughs> I'm getting slapped by all the ladies there, okay? As if you're going to be a get pregnant and not avoid that. So they literally start looking at her going, looks like she's showing 
And that means you can see the shape of the child within her belly. So one of the brothers goes up and says, Dad, we got a problem here. Tamar's been fooling around with somebody, and you know it ain't been any of us. And he explodes with wrath and says, she deserves to die. So they're going to execute her. And they send for her, and whenever the servant gets there, she says, he wants to see you. We know you're pregnant. You can't hide anymore. And she says, well, here, if you want to know who I'm pregnant by, here's the staff. And here's the seal. And all of a sudden, daddy is busted. And to his credit, when he comes, she comes before him, he says, I have been more unrighteous and sinful than you. Now, I want you all to get this, okay? Why is that placed in the middle of that story? And why later on, when you look through the lineage of Jesus, do you find a couple of women that were prostitutes and in that lineage, a man who slept with his daughter-in-law. In the lineage of Jesus, it's listed. Why that interruption to that story? And there's several possible reasons for that. There's not a definitive one, but you know what I, what I believe that God's doing? He's letting knowing that he's going to put dreams in the lives of messed up people and messed up families. And if you have a misconception that you have to have it all together to have a dream from God, you're wrong. God has a dream for the most messed up of us. And I don't know what you struggle with, and I don't know what all's happened to you, but what I know is God's dream for you is bigger than any of that. And it's a big dream. So we have a misconception of who gets the dream. We also have a misconception of how we get the dream. You see, there's a couple of ways in Scripture that God gives a dream. Now, God is the father of every godly dream. You need to know that, though. Regardless of how this dream comes about, if it is truly a godly dream, then God is the one who inspired that. Let me give you two, two ways that you, you can get your dream from God. And it's important to note that it doesn't matter which you get because some of the greatest men in Scripture have got their dreams in both of these ways. First of all, is that he may impregnate you with a dream. And that, I'm just saying he puts that within you, not in a miraculous, merry kind of way, but in the sense that there, nobody else knows. Nobody else has a clue. You can't point to anybody and say, oh yeah, he told me about that and man, I got excited or she told me about it, but he just gives you a dream and you have it before anyone else knows about it. There's some guys in scripture, Moses was like that. Remember whenever Moses is growing up in Pharaoh's household and becomes disgruntled, he realized that he's a, not an Egyptian, but he's a Hebrew. He's out one day and he sees the Hebrews you know, uh, mistreating a, uh, the Egyptians mistreating a Hebrew, and he gets all angry and he executes this dream prematurely. And he murders the Egyptian. Nowhere in scripture does it say that God asked him to do that. 
But in Stephen's speech, later on in the New Testament, there's an explanation as to why Moses did it. And he says that he believed that God had wanted to use him to lead the, the Hebrews out of Egyptian slavery. There's no message of him talking to anybody else or anybody's telling that, but somewhere along the line as he watched and as he looked at his family, God put that dream in him. The same things happens with Nehemiah. Nehemiah, whenever the walls are falling down, when he asks, he is in a comfortable palace. He is a prisoner, but he's a, it's in a, in a plush prison because he is the cupbearer to the king. Everything he could want. And when he asks about how are the people doing at home, at the city, he finds it's all bad. And all of a sudden, he has a dream. And for two chapters, he even says, I had not yet told anyone what God had put in my heart. But then he tells them, and it's significant. Joseph appears to be that kind of guy too, that he is, God directly gives him and plants that dream. So God may impregnate you with a dream. And that's awesome if he does that, if it's a godly dream. But he also, he may not do that. God may lead you to adopt somebody else's dream. The dream of someone else. And what you see over and over in scriptures, you will see that Moses has a dream that Joshua adopts. And when Joshua takes over the nation of Israel, overcoming Canaan and, and winning it, it is Joshua that leads the charge in executing Moses' dream, and all the people say, it's our dream. If you read Nehemiah, you'll find out that Nehemiah, it's a lot about my dream, about my vision. It's about me and God. It's about me and what I saw. But after chapter 2, it's always about our dream. And the walls are rebuilt because Nehemiah has a dream, but it would never have been built if those people hadn't chose to adopt that dream. And there is an important difference in adopting a dream and living on, and living on someone else's dream. There's a difference in it becoming yours and you just trying to vicariously be excited as good things happen that you like. And I would suggest to all of you that are here that God wants to, to birth a dream in you or he wants you to adopt a dream. And there are people that have been in your life for a long time that some of you have sat and you've watched somebody else get excited. You watch TC or Carrie, or Donnie, or Lynn, or Adam, or you know whoever it might be at, that's out there in our campus ministries. You've watched them as they passionately, excitedly live, and you get passionate and excited also, but anybody who looks at you knows that while you love their dream, it's not yours. And it's time for some of us to stop wanting to be unique to find our own dream. I have a dream, that's awesome. But what's the most important is whose dream do you have? And it ain't original with you, whether it's birthed in you or whether you adopt it, it's all given by God. And we get mixed up sometimes that we're waiting for some revelation of God to speak from heaven and he's put Moses and Joshua and Nehemiah and Abraham's all around us and we're going, well, I wonder what thing we could do significant. What you're doing this weekend and the vision that you have for your campus ministry ought to be one of the most compelling dreams to where it pushes you beyond simply sitting in a circle and observing a dreamer 
to where you have a circle of dreamers. Anybody who enters that, your circle should not feel like, you should not feel when a visitor comes like it's Daniel in the lion's den. Because so many of you are dreamers, you ought to feel like anybody who would oppose your dream, they ought to feel like a lion in a den of Daniels. Because we're owning that dream. And it's not reserved to a personality temperament. It's not related to a social status. It's not reserved for an ethnic group. It is reserved for all who would embrace that dream. And the third misconception we miss the dream for is a misconception about what it takes to realize a dream for God. We miss, have misconceptions about who gets the dream, about how they get the dream, and then what it takes to realize that dream. And these are all go together. Every biblical dreamer's dream is fulfilled by faith and faithfulness. The amazing thing about those two things is faith and faithfulness that every single human being has the capacity to be those two things. That's why you can see Jesus and you can see God through the ages calling every conceivable kind of person, broken, strong, weak, whatever it might be, because the one equalizer is that all the dreams are too big for you to fulfill outside of faith and faithfulness. And if you want just a term that I didn't initially like that I'm growing closer to, is that we've got to have a faithful faith. A faith that believes so strongly, it's really a picture of what New Testament faith is, that we believe so strongly that it dictates how we obey. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, it is people with faithful faith. You got Abraham and Sarah, she's a, he's 100 years old and she's 90 years old. It was a few years before that and they had not been busy for a long time, if you know what I mean. Their tent was quiet. And God comes to them and says, you're going to have a baby. And they both chuckled. But read the story. After they chuckled, they cuddled. And cuddling progressed with them just like it have with many of you. You know what I mean? With you to a place it probably shouldn't have been, to them to a place they hadn't been for a while, but exactly where God told them to go. It's the theme that every senior citizen longs for God's dream to come true at Emyo. 190, do you understand? You can say, I believe that, but to act on that, you're going, Sarah. You know, Sarah looked at Abraham. You know how she described him at his age? He walks in. I don't know if he comes in naked, you know, because he's going to do this right. Hey, God told me to do this. He walks in and he says, hey, God says we're supposed to have sex. We're going to have a baby. She looked at him and I don't, I don't think she pointed to any particular part maybe, but I'm, she said, you're as good as dead. It's true. That builds up your ego, doesn't it? I'm telling you. And yet at 190, they obeyed. If you look at the stories of Noah, he believed and he built an ark. With Moses, while there was a premature application of the dream, he surrendered everything for the dream. It doesn't take, if you look at Rahab, if you look at Gideon, it's all, all, all about believing so strongly that it determines what you behave and what, how you behave and what you focus on. 
And here's the thing, know this. That's pretty simple, isn't it? How do I fulfill the dreams? I decide I'm going to be, I'm going to have faith and I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to have a faithful faith. That's so easy to grasp, it's also easy to target. Because of this, every attack of Satan is designed to destroy your faith or derail, derail your faithfulness. And the answer to every attack that he gives is continued faith and faithfulness. We miss the dream because we have misconceptions about the dream. Secondly, I may miss, the, miss realizing my dream because of mistreatment. Scriptures reveal that, dreamers, that dreamers for God are destined for targeting. Satan will use insiders to attack and target. He will use outsiders to attack. The inside attacks always hurt more, whether it's a man or a woman. They are all contracted to kill not so much the dreamer, he's just the vessel, but to kill the dream, and it's necessary to kill the dreamer sometime. And the same thing happened in Joseph's life because of mistreatment. It starts with Joseph's father coddling him. And it hurt him. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 37, that Joseph, verses 3 and 4, that Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had born, been born to him in his old age. So one day, Joseph had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. He's the coddled kid. He's the favorite. And I want you to know, if you've ever grown up being a favorite or having a favorite, you know it's no good for anybody when parents function dysfunctionally. Joseph's brothers hated him. Why? Because his dad coddled him. They hated him and they hurt him. Genesis 37, 3 and 4 says this. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made him an ornate robe for him. When the brothers saw this, saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. If you know the rest of the story in the next few verses, you know that they begin to plot to kill him. And that plot becomes realized. They are going to execute him and they are going to throw him in a cistern and basically just let him die in a pit and let him die. And while he is there, some Midianite slave travers come along and one of the brothers has a little bit of heart and says, hey, let's not kill him, let's just sell him into slavery for the rest of his life. And that's what they decide to do. You know the story, they go out and kill a wild animal. They smear the blood of the wild animal on this new technicolor dream coat and they bring it back to his father and his father is downcast and depressed for years to come as they say, your favorite son is dead. And all the time that he's crying, they're smiling. The inside was a tough thing for them. He gets down into Egyptian slavery and he's sold to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife liked Joseph a lot because he was a well-built, good-looking man. The indication in scripture is that he's one of those guys. And now you see Satan will now attack through that and so she one day, as he is working in the house, tries to seduce him when, she reject, when he rejects the seduction. She cries rape and tells her husband. Many scholars and experts believe that in this story that Potiphar knew that his wife was lying. But yet he sent Joseph to prison anyway. Joseph's 
father coddled him. Joseph's brothers hated him. Joseph's boss, Potiphar, betrayed him. Joseph's cellmates forgot him. He meets a couple of people in jail, a cup, a cup bearer and a baker, and he tell, foretells one of their dreams and says, hey, when you get out, all I ask, I don't ask him, but just tell your boss, tell Pharaoh if you, to the one, the one was going to be restored, the cup, it's good news, bad news scenario. To the baker, he said, sorry, dude, you're going to, what your dream means is your head, you're going to head's be cut off and you're never going to be able to go back. But for you, Mr. Cupbearer, you're going to get to go back to the king and be restored fully. And when you get there, will you please tell him about me? And in the excitement of his own freedom, he forgets about his promise to his friend. And see, as you look at all of that, that's mistreatment on every, inside, outside, right? Friends and enemies, family and foes, family that becomes foe. And scripture reveals that dreamers who are hit like that can lose their dream. But Joseph didn't. Joseph instead, read the scriptures, go back to the story, responded to mistreatment with faith and faithfulness. And honestly, what you need to know is the realization, when did the realization of Joseph's dream begin? It's easy to see when it's, when it's, when it's completed. In the end, when the brothers come and bow before him and he embraces him, go, that's the dream. That's the end of the dream. The beginning of the dream, the beginning of its realization started when the brothers' resentment led them to sell him into slavery. And each painful event led to the fulfillment of his purpose. He did not know that, but God did. But Potiphar imprisoned him at right, just the right time to meet the baker and the cup holder. And the cup holder remembered just the right time in order for Pharaoh to need Joseph. And it was all executed through this, that mistreatment that seemed so unfair to him, in many ways it was, while it was unfair, it was the pathway to the fulfillment of the dream. And it may be in your life also. We want God to give us a dream that's pleasing. And God often says, I want to give you a dream that's going to be painful, but it's worth it. So we can miss the dream because of the mistreatment of others. Thirdly, I may re miss realizing my dream because of misbehaving, giving in to sin. Satan tried derailing Joseph with pain and bitterness, and it was not working. So now he tries to seduce him with pleasure and the promise of comfort. And it is easy to see the devil in the pain of betrayal, isn't it? If you've been betrayed, I have been betrayed on several occasions. And the pain that that betrayal, whenever someone close to you, whether it's Julius Caesar, whether it's Jesus Christ, or whether it's you, the betrayal of someone close to you is one of the most painful experiences that you'll have. And it is obvious that it is evil. It's easy to see the devil in the pain of betrayal, but it's harder to see him in the arms of a beautiful lover. It's hard for you girls to realize that the guy that has made you feel so wanted, if you could see behind his mask, is the devil himself. 
And for some of you guys to realize that that girl who you thought was fulfilling your every desire, Satan was using to destroy every dream that God might be able to fulfill in you. And the truth of the web, the matter is, from the things that we feel, resentment and hate and self-contempt to the desires that we have, whatever desire that might be, to have a relationship that would make us fulfilled, that drains our dream, or the desire to possess things that, that, that so dominate our schedule that there's no time for any dream. We're too busy building a castle on the sand. The Bible says that we need to make sure that we don't let bitterness take hold or it will defile, it will destroy many. If you're building a dream, bitterness will pull it down block by block. And the Bible also says that you need to run from sexual sin. And if you've got a dream and there is somebody that's enticing you for a relationship sexually that's out of there, I would suggest you run from them. And for you girls, stay away from them because they will destroy your dream. And I've watched beautiful women, young ladies that have committed to God be pulled aside by someone that it seemed like this would be pleasant to end up in a nightmare later on in life. And guys, I've watched guys walk away with a dream sometime that they birthed and that God birthed in the baptism of making a difference for God and when you look at their life later you can't tell that there is a God even because it's so broken you may miss your dream because you can't live for the devil and fulfill God's dream for your life period Understand there's grace, God will forgive, but you need to understand also, if you live for the devil, you will never see the dream of God fulfilled in your life. You will amount to something that is ordinary or worthless when it comes to fulfilling God's purpose. And number four, I can miss realizing my dream because of mistiming. Paul told the first century church, he said, don't become weary in doing what's good, for in due time you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. We want everything quick. When I first got in ministry, I'm, not, I'm a dreamer. I tend to dream for people. I tend to dream for, for, for this, for our church. But the first dream I had, I, I, it wasn't birthed, I don't think, in me spiritually. It was one I adopted from Mike Napier as I was in school for ministry. The dream of being a church of a thousand that perpetually plants churches. And when I first got in ministry, man, I wanted it instantly. And I began to think, why does that guy, why are they, and chasing that dream can lead you sometimes to forsaking what God wants you to, what God wants you to do when it comes to building his church. It can become more about pride than it does about the purposes of God. And we want to do it quick, just like Moses. He kills the Egyptian, but he spends 40 years. And God used his mistiming to humble him which he needed to be clearly but you got to wonder what he would have done, could have done if we had just been humble and waited on God's timing you see 
the one thing I'll say about Joseph is he doesn't seem to have great timing sometimes. Remember earlier when we read that passage to where, excuse me, the Bible says the father loved him more than, than any others and he gave him a coat that was special and it says they hated him so much that they could not even speak to him. It was right after he gave him the coat that he had the dream. You know the first thing he did? He ran and told his brothers that he had a dream that they were going to bow down to him someday. I'm not sure that's good timing, you know what I mean? Oh, you hate me for a coat. Let me give you another reason to hate me. Nah, 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 nah. Joseph. I really don't think Joseph was being arrogant and prideful. I think that's what most of us would do. And in Scripture, when you have a dream, often you'll see it's talked about. It's revealed almost immediately. But maybe Joseph would have been wiser to wait. But the great news is that even in his impetuous nature, it didn't prevent God from developing even through the hardships. So 13 chapters of the scripture later in 27 years, 13 years of slavery, seven years of plenty as Pharaoh's right-hand man, seven years of famine, 25 years later, his family would stand before him. He's ruling Pharaoh's whole world. There's been plenty for seven years and God gave Pharaoh a dream that he interpreted. He said, store it all up because you'll make a fortune. The world's gonna come to you for grain. In the lean years, they're gonna follow the seven years. If you know the story, he is sitting on the throne. Everybody that got grain, that got food from him had to come not to Pharaoh, but to Joseph. And Joseph's brothers walk in. But they walk in. 25 plus years later and they don't even recognize him. Who would have dreamed? Joseph and God. And Joseph does a little bit of testing but when he sees him he has to go back in the back room and he cries because he doesn't want to reveal himself yet because he is so filled with compassion for them. He orchestrates for everybody the family to be there. When he reveals himself, they're terrified because he thinks, they think, oh no, little brothers, the little brother that we could pick on. And by the way, you, you, you big brothers who have little brothers, they grow up, okay? They grow up. Joseph had grown up and he had the whole nation of Egypt behind him and they're going, oh, oh, we are in big trouble. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. God intended it all for good to accomplish what he's doing, what is being done right now, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. They had bowed down before him. But instead of being humiliated, they were supplied by the rest of their lives. The cursed child became the blessing of the family because he didn't miss God's dream. 
And I'm telling you, you guys are called in the culture that you, culture that you live, on the campus that you live, to live the dream out of making a difference. And you're going to have times that you don't know how God's going to do it. And you, there's going to have times when you're going to be mistreated. There are going to be times whenever you look and go, man, I just, I just don't know if I can hold this out. I'm being tempted to hate or I'm being tempted to walk away. And you're thinking, man, God, just do it now. And I want to encourage you to stick in there because I don't know when he gonna, he's going to do it. But if you will live like Joseph and dream on, God will work through you. And some of you who are in the audience today will be the people that are up here tomorrow. And some of you who came with the person who preaches at your church or leads your campus ministry will be the one that's preaching at the church. The one who have been reached by the plants will be the one who plants and reaches others. And that's God's dream. And I want to encourage you to dream on. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for your grace and your love in my life. And Father, I remember as a child knowing that something was wrong with me, feeling like I was broken and twisted. Father, not knowing that what happened to me was not something that should have happened to me and that I wasn't responsible for it, but Father, it's still, Satan used it. I believe all along he used my great-grandfather to abuse me, not simply for my great-grandfather's pleasure, but so that I would think that there was no purpose in living. And it was futile to dream. But God, the incredible thing is that faith destroys futility and makes dream come true. In my life, in the lives of countless other broken, and flawed and rebellious and hurting people. And God, I pray that we'll see that the key to realizing it in every situation is faith and faithfulness. So we'll believe in a way that causes us to behave. Father, our purpose doesn't cause us to pretend. Our purpose causes us to confess and become. Father, I pray that this weekend We'll be a people who begin the process of dreaming on. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.